Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. And I had the pleasure of sitting down with him for an interview back in the fall of 2018 and uh, talked about uh, just a myriad of, of things, life events and and trumpet, of course. And I'm sad to say the first 40 minutes of a very long interview, uh, the first 40 minutes uh, somehow got corrupted. So I'm working on cleaning those up and will hopefully get those out to you at some point. The remainder of the interview, though, right where this picks up, and it's going to seem awkward picking up where, where it does because uh, it might seem out of context, uh, it's still a great interview from that that point forward. Okay, first of all, it fascinates me that you say he was about uh, the beauty of the line, the lyricism. Right. And I've, even though I didn't study directly with Chickowitz, one of the things I appreciated was that he seemed to to go for that same thing, the beauty in the line, the flow, and always a forward motion. There was nothing static. Right. About same things. with Facciano. Now, here's your connection. Okay. They were all Schlossberg students. Well, <laughs> what a great connection. Boom. Wow. That, uh, of course, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I could have, I was alive, uh, and Jacobs was alive. I could have driven up and had lessons with him. You know, and sometimes you don't think about this till after the fact. But Chickowitz, had I known early on, I could have still had yeah. a lesson yeah. with him. Um, but you were fortunate enough to study with... Stamp and Vacchiano. And Vacchiano, yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about their, their teaching styles. Very, very different teaching styles. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy taught us, which is part of the confusion of what people see in the book <laughs> and what people hear about Jimmy mm -hmm. Stamp. Part of that confusion is born of the fact that he reverted always to the easiest fundamentals, the easiest way to get the most musical line out. Mm -hmm. And those fundamentals had a certain commonality. The scalar things, mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, the, the uh, concept of, of easy slurring, mm -hmm. the concept of 
waiting until it was time for the note to change before you change the mm -hmm. note. Uh, all of those things were the route to the enhancement of the line. And that's what he was focused on, mm -hmm. not the technical. He, he focused us on the technical while we were learning to make the line mm. and making sure that that line was obvious mm -hmm. and clear. So you're really paying attention to what comes out of the end of that bell yeah. more than what you're paying attention to goes on exactly. in front of the mouth. Exactly. So it was, it, was, it was the product rather than the process mm -hmm. you were focusing on. Mm -hmm. And when, when we would put our put our focus on the end product and use the techniques that were implicit in that direction, mm -hmm. then we would get that result. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then, of course, how loud or how soft we needed to play it, those were little variables. Sure. And then so, so Jimmy would hand out these wonderful single-page uh, tunes, and they were... Um, extensions of those techniques and the extensions of the techniques would take us up into our upper register and and he he believed that everything uh, and I, I agree everything was born in the middle register mm -hmm. so pretty much all good pedagogy seems to do that mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. uh, I teach a pedagogy class and we compare a lot of the different books uh, and, and, and see where those roots are. And, mm -hmm. and there is some variance, but the, the best and most effective books tend to keep us in the middle register mm -hmm. as much as is possible. Mm -hmm. And then we need to practice our way into the upper register. If we want to play up there well, we need right. to practice it. And none of us does enough of that generally. Uh, until we need to. Or the other way. Or the other way. Which when, you know, it, I remember the first time I opened the stamp method book mm -hmm. and saw all those ledger lines below. Below the staff, right. It, it, and maybe that's where I'm, in my mind it was such a technique or, and, and gimmicky isn't even the right word, but uh, I would always think about stamp as uh, the pedal note guy. You know, you have to master this this extreme uh, down to pedal C and double pedal C um, to get to get the benefit of the method in that book. Yeah, uh, it you don't have to master it, but you have to focus upon doing it with the with the same embouchure that you use in all the other registers you play in. Mm -hmm. So, the fewer changes that we make mm -hmm. also align us with that line concept mm -hmm. so and also when we realize that you know some of these lines in in his book are extremely long and those are to 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 teach us how to breathe both uh in inhalation and exhalation with good efficiency mm -hmm. to know how loudly we play to make a line beautiful mm -hmm. and how long we need to stretch ourselves to, 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 to get to a certain result. It's actually focusing, we're focusing without thinking about it mm -hmm. towards the end, towards the product. Mm -hmm. We're focusing towards the end of the line. We're not focusing at the beginning where we've got to go down into the pedal register. Mm -hmm. We're focusing uh, on the sound that we're making in mm -hmm. the pedal register, 
working to make it sound like real notes, but basically we're working our way to the to the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And then once we get that, then it's ah, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> uh, now Vacchiano was he was the opposite. Yeah, I was just going to say for comparison, how did that work? Okay, Vacchiano did not believe in mouthpiece playing at all. That's 180 degrees from stamp. right. Yeah, and Stamp really believed in, and that was our generator. And uh, th of course, the the commonality of of making beautiful music and, and playing the lines. Uh, when you look at at the collection, the uh, uh, Freiburg's uh, Schlossberg book, um, uh, you 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 see that those are very similar techniques but they're truncated so that you could get the idea of mm -hmm. making these things connect mm -hmm. to make longer lines. The Schlossberg book in and, in and of itself has, has failings uh, because um, the, it, it, was, it was never really Schlossberg's book. That was a collection of all the stuff um, well, like Chickowitz, uh, uh, Michael Chickowitz put together yeah. all those etudes, but right. they're etudes from yeah all over the place. Right. Sure. So you're saying that's kind of the same thing. Same with same kind of thing with Schlossberg. Now Tom Stevens wrote uh, a book called After Schlossberg, and it's really quite good, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 that's worth uh, getting. It, it's unfortunate that Tom didn't live long enough to another ten years. We would have mm -hmm. gotten that book really. Widely out there, because sure. uh, he sent me he sent me some sample. Uh, Tom and I were very close. This is something that people don't know that Tom was really a very warm and sensitive person. Those are not the stories that came no. out after no. he passed uh, earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few months ago, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, he he was actually a, a mentor to many of us, mm. and he. When Tom came out of the army, he was back in Los Angeles, and we were playing in Les Remsen's large brass ensemble together. And he invited me up to his place to play duets, and he taught me a bunch of the New York stuff. This was prior to me going to New York to study with Bacchiano. Mm -hmm. And he was the man. Tom Stevens was the guy who paved the way for me to study with Bacchiano. Okay, mm. he called him up and asked him if wow. he could. And and so I went there to study in the summers and et cetera, et cetera, and and and, and yeah, Tom was a great mentor for me, mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah, I, another interesting side connection, and then I'll get back to Vacchiano mm -hmm. <laughs> because this is all related. Sure. Another side connection was that. Uh, uh, in, in, in 1965, I was, um, I was 18 years old. I was just a kid playing in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And uh, <laughs> it's no, just a not series. people that can say a, that. It's, it's, a, just it's a series of events yes, that, that yes. kind of carried me through. There was no real series plan. Of fortunate events. Very fortunate yes. events. And, and I guess I had the common sense or some kind of understanding to to um, um, uh, not maximize them but but uh, prioritize those as things that I needed to continue and do and do well mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I had been visiting with Tom Stevens in 1965 at his place. We'd been playing duets and uh, and, uh, and listening to records, and he would play. And it was it was very interesting because um, the records we were listening to that particular day were the Pittsburgh Symphony. Mm -hmm. uh, Steinberg was the conductor, mm -hmm. and Charlie Hoyce had been ill, had taken that time off, and the sub that played principal trumpet on those recordings was Fred Mills. Okay, fast forward <laughs> one day. <laughs> okay. I'm backstage, I don't play at the Hollywood Bowl, I don't play that particular tune, because I was the utility trumpet, mm -hmm. I was fourth trumpet, and and so I'm standing out in back of the, of, the, of the bowl, just kind of enjoying the, the Hollywood environment mm -hmm. out there. That was <laughs> before the bad smog. And, and uh, down the hill walks this tall, lanky guy <laughs> and walks up to me and says, Hi, I'm Fred Mills. <laughs> And so that was my meeting. I said, Fred Mills, I was just listening to you play on the Steinberg recordings wow. of the Pittsburgh Symphony at Tom Stevens' place. Listen, I just got my, I just took delivery of my Porsche. Are, are you interested in going for a <laughs> ride? We'll go up to Tom's place afterwards. Yeah. If Tom has time, we'll go hang out together. Yeah. And that's how, that's how I met Fred Mills. Okay, so <laughs> and obviously an ab absolutely fabulous musician. Yeah. But never have I thought, had he done anything prior to Canadian Brass, but how was he as a symphony musician? He I mean, was if he's playing principal, he had to he be. Was, he was spectacular. Not only that, he had played, he had played in the American Symphony with mm -hmm. Stokowski. He had played in the Houston Symphony with Stokowski. Mm -hmm. He had played principal trumpet in the New York City Ballet wow. and Opera. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, this guy was—he was the real deal. Yeah. And and uh, and he'd played principal trumpet in the the National Orchestra uh, of Canada, okay, <laughs> and played in the National Ballet Orchestra in Toronto, which is where we all ended up. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, he was a fabulous, a fabulous orchestral musician. And uh, he was also a Vacchiano student. <laughs> but that was the that was the first meeting. So was, yeah, any idea that there was going to be a friendship? Uh, well, it was an immediate connection. We yeah. we hung out together, and and uh, and then he gave me his number, and he said, "Listen, if you get to New York, give me a call. We'll hang out." And so did uh, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I mean, I, that might sound silly. But <coughs> I mean, obviously, you guys worked together for many years after that. But yeah. I just was curious if yeah. you actually <coughs> rang him up when you got. Yeah, there. I rang him up when I got to New York. Uh, um, I left New York. I left Los Angeles for New York. This let me let me back up and see if I can fill in a few sure. dots here because there's some big empties, and then I'll get to Vacchiano, mm -hmm. <coughs> or I'll get back back to Vacchiano. Um, the 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 Los Angeles connection. I had auditioned for the Los Angeles Philharmonic when the opening was for third trumpet and assistant first. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I came in second to Tom Stevens. <laughs> okay, wow. that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. And then that audition was very interesting because we had there were about a hundred people audition, wow. and I was 18 years old. 
and mm -hmm. and uh, I just got lucky that day and knew knew the repertoire and mm -hmm. and and played it the way I'd heard it on mm -hmm. recordings and 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 played it in those little orchestras my parents right. had brought me to and da 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 and then in the various bands I'd played it in different keys and it didn't matter you know so that put me on the top of the sub list okay so anytime there was anything going on that required either extra trumpets I was first call mm -hmm. or if the Los Angeles Philharmonic uh, was working and they needed an orchestra for the Chandler Pavilion to play in the pit for mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Danish ballet uh, I was I, I played first on that and or you know or, or uh, uh, you know one of the great singers would come into town mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and play with and they needed an orchestra mm -hmm. and so I would I end up being first call mm -hmm. so I was a principal in the pit for all this mm -hmm. stuff and uh, then the full position of I had been playing in the Philharmonic as extra call <coughs> and then the fourth trumpet player became ill and didn't get appropriate remedial treatment and he died oh. and I was first call so they asked me if I would come in and sub not the way you really want to get a gig. No, but but, but, but that's, that's but that's that what happens. life happens, right. Right. and and so I I you know I mm -hmm. went and I played for you know for, mm -hmm. for a year a little little over a year year and a half. So in the section was Tom Stevens. Yeah, Tom. Yourself? The, my, uh, yes, and and uh, Irving Bush was the uh, second player, and D Bob Duvall was the first player. Mm -hmm. So the, we were the four the four mm -hmm. guys there. And uh, my first day, as I showed up on, on on the gig, I noticed that they were all wearing uh, gray trousers, black shoes shined, uh, uh, white shirts, skinny ties, dark ties, and um, a, uh, a cardigan, black cardigan sweater, okay? Mm -hmm. So after the first rehearsal, I went out and I went shopping and I bought myself a cardigan sweater and mm -hmm. the gray trousers and <laughs> shined my shoes, mm -hmm. got the tie and the shirt, away we went. And I, I just, I was in the section. Boom. Sounded uh, right and looked sounded right. Sounded right, looked point. right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and uh, here was this kid swinging his way through life, wow. just, just. Know, still studying with, a with Stamp at this point. I was I was still studying with Stamp. You mentioned Tom Stevens though. Did you study with him? No, but at all I, or not not directly. But because he 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 offered to play duets with me, mm -hmm. it kept him what a great active. Lesson. It yeah, was so. it was like showing up there <coughs> for two or three hours at a time playing having trumpet mm -hmm. lessons <laughs> because it was incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would and he would he would show me the way the New York guys played and then the way the mm -hmm. Los Angeles guys played da 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 mm -hmm. da. And then um it just this this relationship continued, okay? And then they had a f they had to fill the 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 uh, the, the utility position, so yes. they had another audition. At this audition, I came in second place to Mario Guarneri. <laughs> Always a bridesmaid. So I was really, really good at coming in second place. Right? Yeah. So that was the way it happened. And so I, I, 
I was second place, and I figured, okay, maybe it's time for me now to, to go to New York, because mm -hmm. my, my career here will be, you know, I can still work here and do it. Mm -hmm. I, and I was starting to get some studio work, and mm -hmm. I was playing with M Malcolm McNabb and, and, and Chase Craig and some of those guys, mm -hmm. uh, doing, doing some uh, large brass ensemble mm -hmm. things and, and this and that and the other thing. But uh, it was time for me to, to go. Mm -hmm. So I, I picked myself up and I dropped out of school and I went to New York and because Avis was waiting, apparently Avis was waiting. Yes. she had transferred <laughs> from the University of Pacific up in central north north central mm -hmm. California, and uh, and so she had transferred to Juilliard as well. Mm -hmm. So we that's th that was mm -hmm. how that went. So uh, okay, so so now back to the style of teaching. Vacchiano's uh, direction for us was to get us ready to be able to play anything in any key mm. specific to orchestral repertoire and other stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. And I just extrapolated from that because mm -hmm. I was already, I had, I told my parents when I left Los Angeles, don't pay for anything. I'm on my own. Wow. And so, you know, there were days that I had uh, musician soup. You know what musician <laughs> soup is? Ketchup and hot water. <laughs> okay. Wow. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I got myself into Juilliard and then I started to call around and and uh, so I started to freelance and I got called to play in the pit to uh, Radio City Music Hall and then they liked me and so I started to work there on a, mm -hmm. on a semi-regular basis and then I started to get some church gigs and then I started to get you know some... some that scene has always been I mean you can stay busy yeah, if you're if you're good, I mean, yeah. you can stay busy all the time. Yeah, uh, there's much less now than there was then, according to the uh, uh, according to the professionals that are working there. Mm -hmm. But it's it always was just you know again if, if you were if you worked hard enough, and we talked about the the harder I work, the luckier I get. Mm -hmm. That's that's an old Arnold Palmer, and it really is true. Yeah. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. And if you are, if you if you focus <coughs> on the things that you are not good at, and work the hardest on those things, those are the things that are, will invariably crop up on either a gig or an audition. <laughs> and you, I see the smile on your face, so oh, I yeah. know that you know how <laughs> yeah, true that is. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I mean, the, the, when I sh when I showed up for my first gig with the Los Angeles Philharmonic at the Hollywood Bowl when when the other trumpet player got sick, mm -hmm. I ran I ran down and got a white jacket so I could be on you know be on the <laughs> stage with the guys, and then and just I had been in New York studying with Bill Vacchiano. Um, he he had been working on me studying a trumpet in four flats, and it turned out that one of the pieces was a trumpet in four flats. So, what trumpet did you play it on? B flat. <laughs> and 
and it, it worked. went just fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, worked, it worked because I'd learned <clears throat> enough <laughs> to, mm. do, to do a trumpet in four flats. That's a weird key, man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the Vacchiano style was everything was sight read. And you would invariably screw it up, and he would say, work that up. Those were his, mm -hmm. work that up. Okay. So you'd go back, and, and you'd practice, and you'd practice, mm -hmm. and you'd work it up. And he, the next week, it was sight read. Not, nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there was only one time that I had missed the work it up phase. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because he never, I mean, for the first five months or so, he, he never asked me to play anything I, he had assigned me before. And uh, you've probably seen on my, on my Facebook page that I, that I, I showed a, a photograph of, of the front end of my Arbenz book that he wrote. Oh, I don't That's think I've that, seen that, that, has, that has all the page numbers mm -hmm. with the assignments, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, and then I did this. I did the same thing for a, for a Sancho Cohn book. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. and and so those are those are kind of posted out there. Yeah. There. Yeah. And and uh, but one day, six months later, he turned and opened up to a page and 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 uh, he said, "Play this." And I stepped all over myself. And he looked at me, and he very quietly said. How do you expect to be a trumpet player if you don't do what I tell you? Wow. And that was the last time he ever had to say that. And he wasn't trying to be mean. No. He was helping. But he communicated he, pretty clearly. He was, he, <laughs> he was helping. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he, was, he was helping. And by golly... I carry around. He he also had a little a little saying. He you know he would he would say he would drop these beautiful bits of information. One of them he said so so there's my E flat trumpet across the room mm -hmm. just sitting in the in the box, <clears throat> and he he would always say, always bring your small trumpet on stage. And I started to do that. And there were maybe half a dozen times when my face wasn't working the way I wanted mm -hmm. it to on mm -hmm. the big trumpet, and I would grab the small trumpet. And the fact that he'd taught us that we had to transpose, that we had to learn the parts on all the different trumpets. <laughs> I grabbed the small trumpet, and I was a king for the day. <laughs> you know, you, know <clears throat> you said you saw me... Uh, smile a couple minutes ago, I remember the the most important thing that I had learned. One of the first most important things that I learned was Chappie said I had just won a regional orchestra job. He goes, you know, um, you can win a job by playing loudly, but you keep your job by learning to play as soft as possible. Some of the best advice ever, because inevitably you get into an orchestra where you can't play soft enough. That was one of my weaknesses. I couldn't play softly. Well, guess what? Now I can play pretty softly. It's it's there the equivalent, go. I think, yeah. of, of exactly the of same. Learning to transpose and be able to play yeah. on on any horn at any time. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. Um, are you a going back to uh, the learning styles? We talk about some of the teaching styles. Okay. Are you more of a model it for me? 
kind of person or were you uh, I need to know the technique behind that were you an analytical kind of learner or more of just show me how it's done play it for me and I'll get it or is or is there some variation this is a, it's it's okay. it's a combination for me uh, I learn well by ear okay and and I learn well by reading mm-hmm okay that's they're not equally well mm-hmm. and depending upon the style they're not equally well but I also am able to understand what I need to do according to the style mm-hmm. okay um, so if I if someone pops something up and it's got a bunch of changes and I'm gonna play I'm gonna play jazz I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna be you know working on sure. working on the tune and working on the changes staying as close as I can to the tune and then <laughs> stretching out so that it doesn't sound too bizarre and then and and going back and forth mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing if I'm working on if I'm playing uh, some uh, opera excerpts or something like that for a, for a show uh, I'll I'll be I'll be figuring out what's what's going to work dynamically mm-hmm. for what instrument to play, you know whether mm-hmm. or not I'm if you if you're going to play a a, a a trumpet call, uh, do you need to drag your piccolo along and stick it on mm-hmm. the stand and just play the call because it's up high? Right. Why not? Right. Okay. The other thing Vacchiano was really good at, and I'll tell you a, a, an accompanying story to mm-hmm. that. Please. Um, so I'm I'm both. Mm-hmm. Uh, my the 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 way the way it, it happens is uh, some by osmosis and some by dedicated mm-hmm. study and analysis um, and there's always some um, chordal harmonic melodic analysis always mm-hmm. so, because it's always about the phrase mm-hmm. no matter what it is mm-hmm. if if I got two notes to play it's where are those in the phrase yep and what <laughs> color do they have to be to make that phrase wholesome mm-hmm. okay am i playing with the oboes am i playing with the clarinets am mm-hmm. i playing with the right. strings am i playing with the other brass am i part of the timpani so what's the articulation mm-hmm. what's what's the color what's mm-hmm. what's the texture mm-hmm. just like just like right. you were taught you know, and all of this, the uh, reason I ask about your learning style is because, of course, this informs the way you now teach. Right. And uh, just the way uh, Stamp and Vacchiano and, and even Tom Stevens had influenced you, sure. all of that Also, Also, now. Les Remsen, who was a wonderful teacher. And he where was, was he? He was in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and so he, I studied <coughs> with him prior to studying with Jimmy Stamp. Mm-hmm. And he was a marvelous... He had been... He, his background was... Um, he had been solo cornet in a marine band in Washington, and then he was principal trumpet in Buffalo, and then <laughs> he, he won trim, uh, principal trumpet in Los Angeles, and he was there for a few years, and he did some studio work, and then he, um, uh, due to circumstances, was out of that scene and became a conductor. Mm-hmm. and a music director and a <laughs> choir director and and he was a wonderful teacher mm-hmm. and it was always again always about music mm-hmm. and he he would teach me concerti and he would you know so mm-hmm. so there was always that emphasis as well mm-hmm. yeah and he was wonderful your he was Tom Stevens teacher too oh no kidding <laughs> yeah also, um, Chuck Brady's teacher and uh, a few others were, yeah. 
Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Uh, you're, of course, now here at University of Illinois. Yes. Was this your first teaching opportunity? This is my first full-time teaching job, yeah. Uh, full-time? Does yeah. that imply that there was a part-time? or? I was, I was always, I always had students. Mm-hmm. I always had private students. I always was doing master classes. Even when I was not, you know, th- I, was, I was always invited to do, mm-hmm. uh, to work with the trumpet section if they hired me sure. to play with a band, <coughs> even as a ringer. You know, they would hire me to play with a local band as a mm-hmm. ringer, and they <coughs> would ask me if I would talk to the to the section and 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 listen to some of the people play, and I would mm-hmm. do that, and and uh, so I was always always in that, and of course with with Canadian brass, we had thousands of master classes, thousands, not just hundreds. No, <laughs> I, I I think I may have attended uh, a couple of those along yeah. the way. Yeah, along the way. Uh, think about uh, maybe the evolution of your teaching from that very first time to, to where you are. And, and I know everybody's teaching evolves, but can you think maybe of what is your focus now when somebody comes to your studio for the first time versus you know, when you first te- took that student however many years ago? Well, now I, I jump right to it. I ask them what, what it is, what, do you, what would you like to, to work on? What high range? I want to learn to play higher <laughs> and faster and louder. <laughs> Those are all easy. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the, the hard stuff right? is with, is the rest of it. Right. So okay, so the big discovery for me, this was this is big, Larry. The, uh, this is many rupees worth. This this was a big discovery. If I could learn how the student learns, <laughs> then I was of some value to myself. Not to the student, but yes to the student. But if I learn how they learn, then that opens up a language, Mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. And it opens up a style. Do they they need to feel the music Mm -hmm. when they see a, a, a... uh, a, a a dotted eighth in six eight time it's a it's a dotted eighth a sixteenth mm-hmm. note and an eighth note do they see dum but dum dum but dum dum or or does it confuse them mm-hmm. so we use the old adage okay here we go Amsterdam 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 mm-hmm. so there's that and that's part of the learning techniques mm-hmm. what I can learn about how they learn mm-hmm. okay do they need do they need more breaths because they're smaller. Mm-hmm. Or do they need to uh, adjust both the breath volume and amount and release to to their size mm-hmm. and and work more on the compactness of their sound so that it travels further? So it's always about phrasing, mm-hmm. no matter what what uh, what we do as an endeavor. Sure. Even the technicals about mm-hmm. phrasing, there is nothing that isn't phrased, and so that's that's big for me but the most important part as I said is working to learn how the the student learns if I can figure that out clover that to me shows that it's not just about what can I teach you it's also how can I teach you 
Yeah. And you you are responding to. They're teaching me. And you've got to find out. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it it takes a while to find out what or how that student learns sure. best. But usually, but usually it's pretty quick because. I ask them to do some some mm -hmm. some reading, and we'll play some duets, and we'll just. I mean, I'm 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 proactive. Everything mm -hmm. you notice, there's trumpets all over the yeah. room. That's for a reason. Sure. And mm -hmm. and you know, but it, as long as I can play, I'm going to play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's well, I tell students I'm going to play taps at my own funeral. <laughs> Not sure how that's going to work. That's okay. But it's going to happen. You know. Yeah. Then yeah. But in other words, but, I'm planning on going until the wait end. a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, they say that too. You can put that <laughs> off for a while. Um, you know, I I told you earlier, uh, and I think maybe the recording was off at the time. I never thought I would enjoy teaching this much, mm -hmm. but I feel like the more I teach, the more inspired I become to learn more and become a better player myself. I mean, yeah, me too. That's what I hear from you. Is absolutely. It's just it's cyclical. It's you know we inspire them, but they inspire us. And the, the best part for me is that, and I'm sure it happens to you. I get letters from previous students about how much they remember mm -hmm. the lessons and 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 that they were using some of the same techniques with their students. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, I think about Vacchiano. He's he's returning, and the same with Jimmy Stamp. That's that's like seven generations of people, mm. right? That were affected. Mm -hmm. I guess the generations are shorter now than they used to be, right? We're into ten years instead of twenty. I think so. Yeah. So he taught for you know seventy years worth of students. How long did you study with Vacchiano? Five and a half years. And after that, what happened? As far as, let me clarify. Did you study with anybody else that, in any sense uh, after we, that? I, I played for people. Um, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you a little funny, funny story. Mm -hmm. um, someone once asked me um, uh, what I could tell them about Fred Mills. And, and uh, well, Fred and I were in the group for 24 years together, so there was a lot I could tell you. <laughs> but, but uh, And a lot you probably shouldn't. No, actually, we, oh, no. we had okay. a really, really easy relationship. We didn't... Oh, no, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking... No, like I mean, we didn't guys... get into... No, we didn't get into <laughs> trouble even. You it didn't was trash just... hotel rooms? And no, uh, no, we sometimes went out and played pool after we'd finished <gasps> rehearsing and stuff like that. That was just... The, that was it, you know? Yeah. And and uh, and one of the things that was really remarkable for me, uh, and and he said to me, um, this was before Canadian Brass, and he, and I was freelancing in New York, and uh, he said, Ronnie, you you should you should uh, you should play for Stokowski. I said, Oh, okay. So he gave me Stokowski's phone number, and I called up. And I spoke with Stokowski, and I told him I asked if I could come and play for him. Mm -hmm. And the answer, of course, was yes. Mm -hmm. And he gave me his address, and 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 so I, I went up to his penthouse apartment on Park Avenue, <laughs> and um, I came in the house, and there there were all these beautiful carpets on the floor. So I had I said. I need to ask you for a newspaper or something to drip on. Mm -hmm. So he was mm -hmm. he was fine with that, and he brought a newspaper. Wonderful gentleman. He's mm -hmm. very, really nice. And he brought out his book 
of trumpet, all the trumpet parts. He had a huge book of trumpet parts. Wow. And he had done a lot of, he, he did a lot of transcribing and arranging of, mm -hmm. his favorite was Beethoven, but, but he did <coughs> a lot. And <coughs> for the next hour and a half or two, it was, a, it was an extraordinary music lesson. He would ask me to play something, and then he would ask me to play it a different way. Then he would ask me to play it yet a third way, yeah. you know. And so I was digesting all of this information, because here's one of these guys, you know, the <clears throat> Stokowski, and, sure. I'm, and I'm I'm having a trumpet lesson, <laughs> but I'm having this extraordinary music lesson with this guy, mm -hmm. and it was it was wonderful. Mm. It was just wonderful. You yeah. went in. I mean, this wasn't uh, an audition. No. This. So just you go, play you go for in him. just thinking, I'm just going to go play and. Yeah, just go play for him. No pressure. No. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And did you get a chance to to play under his baton? At some I did point? a few times actually. Yeah. yeah, I played. I played uh, uh, with him. He came to conduct at the Juilliard a couple times, mm -hmm. and then I played in the American Symphony as a sub. So. In that hour and a half or so, yeah. what did you come away with? Uh, I, that I needed to work more on my dynamic range, mm. both the soft and the loud. Mm -hmm. That I needed to make sure that I that I did carry the phrases through, mm -hmm. and that even if if he had rewritten a section to go up or down an octave, that I carried the texture so mm -hmm. that it all mm -hmm. that it all carried through. And it just was an extraordinary. Also, it was a, a, it was an extraordinary personal meeting that taught me that they're just human beings. <laughs> yes, wonderful, wonderful musicianship, wonderful awareness, uh, out of the box thinker. Uh, when you played in his orchestra, the the, 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 I don't know if you ever played for him. No, uh, oh, no. His orchestras are, are um, he had he had this system of just free bowing for the strings, all free bowing. No, like no standard. It, yeah, just as it comes. Yeah, if it's if it's certain way, great. If it's it makes a different sound perspective. Oh, yeah, big time. And that's why that was so unique when he conducted the Philadelphia Orchestra. You listen to those recordings. Mm -hmm. That was part of that uniqueness of his concept of sound with the Philadelphia Orchestra. I, I'm trying to imagine anybody embracing that these days. It would seem like heresy yeah. to... It, yeah, exactly. Bow it your own yeah. way. It just... Yeah. yeah. Wow. And he was, he was you know, very, very uh, direct. Mm. All He's, of your he he, he stopped one. I'm sorry, I have to. No, 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 please. I, please. I apologize for butting in. Uh, at one point, he stopped the orchestra, and he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, do better." <laughs> and then he started again, and it was better, which also taught me that all we need to do is put our mind in the right place. <laughs> Be focused. Yeah. Do better. 
<laughs> you've you've talked a lot about. I, I didn't realize you had the the depth of orchestral experience. Yeah, I had a lot. And lucky, very lucky. Pre Canadian brass, post Canadian brass. Of course, yeah. you're playing with uh, which yeah. orchestra? Well, here, here the Sinfonia de Camera. I'm mm -hmm. I'm still one of the. Mm -hmm. One of the principal trumpet players there. How, and uh, with your affinity for the orchestral repertoire, how did you f manage that during your time with Canadian Brass? And because that was that all exclusively just the the quintet. Yeah, th it was. It was just the quintet. There was n no time for anything else. At the beginning, we did a lot of freelancing in town as a group. They would hire us to do record sessions mm -hmm. and and uh, film dates and uh, commercials and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but the, when we started to get really busy, that was. That was the focus, mm -hmm. and of course I, I I would listen to to the CBC when I was up there, and and they would play these lovely recordings of mm -hmm. of orchestral music, and so I would get my fix that way, mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes uh, you know I would when we when we played with other orchestras, I would sit in the hall and listen to all the rest of the repertoire they were playing, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, I have a list on my CV. I have a partial list of the conductors oh, nice. with with whom I I, I I worked, with whom I was able to play. And of mm -hmm. course, there's some pretty hefty ones on there. But the mm -hmm. the best part was uh, the that that I would I would just kind of sit out there and not go to group lunches or group meetings. But I'd sit and listen to the orchestra, mm -hmm. and so that's another way that I got my mm -hmm. my fix. Mm -hmm. I love all music, especially melodic music, but I love all music. Were you a fan of Harry James? I was. I love his playing. Yes, Le and and Louis Armstrong. Yes, I thought well, that even, was my start. Even even when they improvised, you still. To me, you could still hear the tune. That was a, that. That's it. I yep. and I think that's why I'm drawn so much to them. Is there's, yeah. they just embellished the tune. I agree. And absolutely agree. That's that's kind of how I try to approach. I'm not a jazzer by any stretch. I can get through. Yeah. Some things here and there, yeah. but that's how I frame it. Is like stick closely to the melody, the lyricism. You know, try to. Yeah. Well, you know that Mike Vax and I did a collaboration album. Not not. not uh, yeah. Well, it's 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 yeah, it's a while back now, and uh, and so I got a chance to 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 play some jazz on that album, <laughs> and and so we were talking about exactly that. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, stay close to the melody. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't matter what you know if the changes have a lot of nine, eleven sharp plus <laughs> this and that and the other things. So just stay close to the melody, and, right. and and then you can enhance it as necessary, mm -hmm. and you can you can stretch it, and that's kind of always the way I played when I was when I was playing in my parents dance band and stuff like that too I meant to ask you earlier about that what kind of repertoire were you were doing we done would you call it top 40 that you're well no they were they were older then? than that they were they were standards from the from the 30s 40s and 50s mm -hmm. sometimes the 20s 30s and 40s and 50s so were these uh, Arrangements, or was anything written down, or uh, was it just the, we would we would use uh, sometimes the Bourne books or the Mills books or or uh, 
um, um, we would just sometimes just play the tunes and mm -hmm. and and you know fake it, and mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a little of this and a little of that. Were you playing cornet on any of those? No, just trumpet. No, I didn't start cornet until I was in my late twenties. Love the cornet sound. I. I do too, and mm -hmm. actually, I was so insecure about it that I actually played it for, for Phil Smith. I asked, I said, "Phil, does this sound okay?" And he said, "Yeah, you sound like a cornet player." I said, "No, I sound like a trumpet player trying to play cornet." He said, "No, you're doing <laughs> great. You sound like a cornet player." Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll edit this out. But uh, the opening concert at ITG, mm -hmm. I was sitting not in the front row, dead center, but the front stage right. Is, is so when Phil, Jose, and David Hickman came out, there was mm -hmm. a trio, I believe. Phil's bell was pointed right at me. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I'd ever heard him live. Ah. And what I thought was, oh my, that's <laughs> why he was principal. Yeah. I mean, that's. And, yeah. and the first recording I ever heard of him was uh, Unanswered Question. Ah, nice. And what a beautiful, pure sound. And to yeah. me, and somebody said, oh, you know, he wanted to play third or whatever on that piece because of the, was it focal dystonia he's, Yeah, he's got dystonia, yeah. And I thought, well, you sure couldn't hear it. I mean, he still got No, he knows exactly sound. how to channel all of that. Oh, yeah. What a treat that was. Yep. That yeah. whole opening concert was, that was, was yeah, a treat. That was, that was a treat but for me, uh, too. Um, so I may leave on that, but that was just you know yeah. to to be able to hear these people uh, the first time. And it, well, that is that event, and of course we got Dave, Mike Vax, and I got Dave to play on our. We did we did oh. Brave Matador with Avis on our <laughs> <laughs> on our collaboration mm -hmm. album. Mm -hmm. So we can plug that album mm -hmm. too if people want to hear it. It's a very different uh, album. Yeah. So uh, you're not just doing. Uh, orchestral work. I mean, you're you're doing a lot of chamber doing, music. Doing with chamber Davis music and and Aaron, right? And, and we write our own arrangements. I was, that was my next have, question. We have. We also have. Uh, 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 we have a piece that uh, that that uh, Chaz uh, Reskin. Is that it Resnick or Reskin? That'll need to be edited out. Uh, it's called it's called uh, Showdown at the Hoedown, mm -hmm. and he wrote for <laughs> us, and we've just uh, uh, recorded. Do it. you add any theatrical elements to this the way you do the Carmen? A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. A what little fun. Bit. We're we're working on we're working on uh, kind of expanding that. This yeah. piece is more complicated, um, but it's a really great piece of music. It's called Showdown at the Hoedown. I don't know if we played it at your event. We might have played a mm. part of it. Anyway, I don't remember that. That'll pro this will all probably have yeah. to be. Yeah, that's okay. That's yeah. okay. Um, Ronnie, I I don't know how to thank you uh, for this. I mean, just even if this podcast doesn't go anywhere, what a treat well, it's, to it's, sit. It's it's a pleasure. So so you know we did not cover any contemporary music. What you don't know... We'll have to save that for another interview. Another interview, yeah. Because I actually, I played in Luciano Barrio's Contemporary Ensemble. 
the the, the Juilliard yes. Ensemble. Okay. Yeah, okay. and and we also commissioned some seventy-five contemporary works with Canadian brass that we used to put on special concerts, and we did uh, works with the Toronto Electronic Music Ensemble, oh. and and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I you know, and so I want to thank you, and I know many people have over the years. I hope they have for your contribution sure, to the quintet repertoire. What fantastic pieces, and and I think it's inspired a lot of other con composers and, and arrangers to go out and do uh, the things that they that they've done. But uh, you know, of course, what is they the, the uh, sincere form of form of flattery. Um, Imitation. Imitation, yeah. thank you, as the sincerest form of flattery. That's where a lot of people start. And I, can I remember the first time I got an arrangement of uh, The Amazing Grace? Ah, and yeah. I tried to play it just like you. And I tried to play the piccolo trumpet part just like Fred. And, yeah. you know, and I don't think it came anywhere close. No, I'm sure it but, was great. But what it did was it, it gave me another outlet. It gave me another extension, yeah. another way to, uh, to enjoy playing trumpet. Well, see, the thing, the thing about Luther Henderson's charts is he had a term that he used, jazzicalization. <laughs> I don't think that's made into the dic dictionary. Not yet. <laughs> jazzicalization <laughs> is what he called it. And he wrote, he wrote the pieces in a way where if you stayed fairly close to what he wrote, it's going to work mm -hmm. pretty much in that style in the period that it was mm -hmm. representing. And the neat thing is that <clears throat> he he was able to represent those early jazz pieces in such a classy way, in such a um, an inspiring way. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it was just great. I loved it. I really, I mm -hmm. really did. And... Uh, of course, it brought back all my old, you know, Rom Antics is the name of our dance band, mm -hmm. so it brought mm -hmm. back a lot of that stuff. It was fun. Reading some of those for the first time, were those, uh, you know, he, let's say you finally got an arrangement, mm -hmm. whether you asked for it or somebody volunteered something to you. Uh, were there some that just didn't work? No, absolutely the opposite. Wow. The first time we met Luther Henderson, it was just after Ain't Misbehavin' opened on Broadway, and our producer came to us and said, we just finished the cast album for Ain't Misbehavin'. Mm -hmm. uh, Luther Henderson is the arranger. Are you interested in doing something with Luther? And of course, it took us a nanosecond in order to say <laughs> yes. And the first session, Luther brought in three tunes. And we read through the tunes, and everything worked. Mm. There was not, it was Mozartian. It mm -hmm. was frightening how good. And he had never written for Brass Quintet so before. I was going to say, that's, that's an, uh commendation, or commendable, that yeah. he can... Because sometimes people write that just they don't fit the instrument. It's not idiomatic to the. Well, he he had an interesting background. So he had been. He he told me that he had had a bad relationship, uh, that that was going on, and he joined the navy, 
uh, and went off to the Navy Band. And of course, the Navy Band didn't allow black people on stage at that time. Well, and so, so odd framed in And it. so, yeah. yeah. And so he was put in the back room to write arrangements. And he wrote arrangements for every feasible combination, mm. everything. And he'd never written for brass quintet, but he'd mm. written for everything else. Mm -hmm. And so, and he was Duke Ellington's friend, so he came from that mm. background. Mm -hmm. He was a Juilliard graduate on piano. He's just, <laughs> I mean, come on. He's got everything. He was just, just the most extraordinary mm -hmm. musician. Mm -hmm. And he was so fatherly. He was, he was um, just, Absolutely direct and and mm -hmm. and proper and nice, and um, just he was really he Is was. He still around? No, no, he passed. He mm -hmm. passed. Passed away. This must be about ten years now. Mm -hmm. Time is zipping by. Um, but anyway, he brought these three charts in, and they were um, they were all from from the show from the Ain't Misbehaving Show, and he, he put these charts in front of us, and they just, they worked. Mm -hmm. They were magical. So when you go back and listen to the album, you hear there's everything in place, all mm -hmm. of the, and Luther's charts were that way. Mm -hmm. And one of the beauties of, of, of Luther Henderson's writing, uh, to me, was that he wrote for very slim ensembles a lot, mm -hmm. two voices, three voices. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, he would build it up, put a fourth voice in, and then mm -hmm. finally all stops out. Okay, that mm -hmm. was unbelievable. And I s remember sitting in his front room one night, and he's, he's at the piano playing, and we're just chatting, and I said, you know, you do a lot of writing, and, and your your voicings are, are just so perfect, but... You, you write a lot for just two or three voices. Why is that? He said, well, it was good enough for Bach. It's good enough for me. Ah. His favorite piece was Toccata and Fugue. Wow. His favorite piece. You and guys managed to get through that a few times, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and now, have you heard Aaron's chart about Did we play that? Uh, we might have played that. Yes. Yeah, we played that for yes. you. We've just recorded that, on uh, yeah. So that's that's mm -hmm. going on our mm -hmm. on our side as well. Terrific. Yeah. I'm gonna have to bring us to a close. Great. I just noticed the time, and I you got a rehearsal. I do. Um, thank it, you. Is it still foggy? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, thank you ever so much. What thank you. Thank you for been. taking the time to come by oh. and and do it. I'm sorry that we didn't get a chance to do any plan. Um, well, it just gives me an excuse to come back. Absolutely. I mean, it's well, not that far, but uh, thank you. And, Perfect. Uh, terrific. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, 
merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.